I have a wonderful electronic invention I want you to see. see, see. It, it looks something like this. In 2016, a US sports media outlet launched a website aimed at revolutionizing the industry. Founded by two former employees of Strava, the subscription-based fitness website, The Athletic aimed to produce sports coverage for die-hard fans, which avoided the pitfalls of ad revenue websites, presenting its subscribers with thoughtful writing, a clean aesthetic, and perhaps most importantly, no adverts. Today, three years later, The Athletic is taking a new step, with close to $100 million of venture capital behind them and 500,000 subscribers to their US site. The Athletic is coming to the United Kingdom. In this special episode of the Football Media Podcast, John talks to Ed Malian, former sports editor of The Independent and recently appointed UK Managing Director of The Athletic, about how the company is attempting to win over the British market and add English football to its coverage. This venture will see the landscape of the British sports media changed irrevocably. Whether it works or not, things will never be the same again. Now, if that doesn't whet your appetite for a conversation about the UK sports media, then nothing will. So, without further ado, here's Ed Malian on the expansion of The Athletic across the pond. I'm joined today by Ed Malian, former sports editor of The Independent and now UK Managing Director of The Athletic. Ed, thanks for coming on today. Oh, thanks for having me, mate. The time when this episode goes out, The Athletic's expansion into English football will have gone live and your hard work over the summer will be paying off. Tell us a little bit about how you went from being the sports editor of The Independent to spending your summer headhunting some of the finest talents in sports writing. It's kind of a long process, I guess. Uh, I first talked to The Athletic a couple of years ago. Um, I was very interested in in their business model and everything that came with it. I think they uh, have a very good product that I was already a subscriber to uh, just for the US sports coverage. And uh, I got an, another phone call earlier this year suggesting that they might come back into the UK market, having thought about doing so before. Um, so I flew over to San Francisco and we had a, a long day of talks and I drew up a big plan on the whiteboard and uh, they told me to go and do it. So yeah, I came back and we went pretty fast and, and pretty hard. I had to talk to a lot of people, um, as you do. If you're going to hire 50-odd people in three months, it's um, it's a rush. But uh, I'm very happy with the team we've managed to assemble. Um, I think and I hope that, you know, this is going to be kind of a, a big shift in, in the landscape here. And I think that with the, the, the writers we've managed to bring on board, we're going to succeed. I've been talking about this um, all summer on, on the podcast, so it's been it's been really exciting for us to watch this unfold at our end. But one of the uh, overarching ideas that I keep coming across is that actually a lot of people in the UK don't actually understand the athlete, what the athletic is or how it works. So I guess a good place to start would be, how would you describe the athletic to a UK audience? What I'd say is it, it's, it's going to be the best football writing platform, I think, uh, in the world. Mm-hmm. And... You know, it starts with the writing, but obviously this is going to be an offering that's going to get broadened out. We're going to have podcasts and, and video. And, and really, like, what I want to make it is a destination for all the the best coverage of the football team that you support um, outside live rights. Like, I don't think we're ever going to be in the game for live broadcast rights. They cost billions of pounds. And uh, I think as we're seeing, they're not 
necessarily going to prove to be worth it mm-hmm. um, in, in the future. And I think was it La Liga's TV rights went unsold in the UK last week, mm-hmm. um, which is indicative of kind of the market there. But what we're, what we're trying to do is, as I say, like it, the key is the best coverage of your club. So um, you support Leeds, right? Yep. So for Leeds, we're going to have Phil Hay covering Leeds. I think uh, most people would agree that he's the best guy in the world at covering Leeds United. Mm-hmm. And um, what we're going to try and do is Phil will, will continue to cover Leeds in kind of the way you're used to, but we're going to just give him more time and space to tell stories rather than doing match reports and quotes pieces from press conferences, which everyone else will carry on doing. You know, we're, we're quite complimentary with uh, the kind of offerings that are already available because we're going to be doing different sort of content. I, I think kind of more thoughtful stuff, really. Um, if you support Crystal Palace, for example, um, we're going to have the best coverage of Crystal Palace because who actually covers Palace on a weekly basis anymore? Like mm-hmm. the Croydon Advertiser, I think, are the only outlet I can think of there every single week. Um, the Nationals don't cover Palace every week with the same guy. You know, it'll be like the fourth or fifth person in London goes along to the Palace game. Um, and there are a lot of clubs like that. The mid-table of the Premier League, basically anyone outside the top six gets ignored because the necessity of a volume business model is to try and hit as many people as possible and to try and get as many people on your website as you can. And you don't do that, frankly, by writing about um, Crystal Palace. You do that by writing about Manchester United, Arsenal, Liverpool. And that's why we've seen this turn towards SEO and clickbait and stuff like that, because people need the numbers. Um, And what we can do, because we don't need those numbers, what we can do is we can just provide the best coverage of Everton and Leicester and Palace and Watford and Southampton and Norwich to those fans. And all they need to do is pay us £2.50 a month and we're going to give you really good coverage. And what else can subscribers expect for their money? Because obviously uh, not everyone simply follows one club. Um, if you wanted to follow other clubs, there, there, there's obviously there's options available. But what about the there's US options as well? Those will all be included in the subscriber package, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, so on top of like, you know, I think people will come. I think a lot of people will come originally for the stuff on their club. Um, I, I imagine like most football fans, the first thing they think of when they think about football is the team they support. And then obviously like I love watching Barcelona versus Real Madrid because I just enjoy football mm-hmm. um, so we're going to have obviously the great coverage of other leagues European leagues we've got Raphael Honigstein who I think is the global authority on the Bundesliga in the English language um, and he's great not just on, on German football but obviously German footballers around the world he mm-hmm. has written a great book on Jurgen Klopp um, we're going to have people like David Ornstein Danny Taylor uh, Oli Kay who are kind of going to roam around and just find the great stories around the country but as you say um, for £2.50 a month you get your club you get all the other writers uh, on football that we have but you also get the best coverage available of NFL NHL MLB and NBA uh, from America as well as boxing motorsport all that sort of stuff so I think that the bundle you get the com- is the package is very compelling um, and the way I try to describe it to people is imagine like the sports section of a newspaper but it just continuously updates like a conveyor belt and you've got a completely global sports package as well rather than just kind of a more local thing with just eight pages we've got 1200 to 1500 stories that go up every month um and i think that's only going to go upwards so it's it's an incredibly comprehensive bundle of of great sports writing but the focus for us in football is obviously the clubs first and then building stuff out from that Obviously, the US and UK sports markets are increasingly bleeding into one another. And I think one of the things I'm seeing a lot more is friends following various sports franchises over in in the US. There's still a distinction between the two. And I guess the big question that I think a lot of people will have of The Athletic is, how do you think that it's going to sit this new model of, of sports media consumption? How do you think it's going to sit with a UK audience? 
I don't think it's going to be that different. I think what like what we've seen in the UK recently, for example, do you know that Netflix has overtaken Sky in terms of subscriptions in the UK? Um, now, now, why do we think that is? Obviously, like most people I know, like kind of most of my friends I'd expect have Netflix um, and have got rid of Sky uh, because Netflix is a much more affordable package and it's much more, I think, in keeping with what the modern consumer wants. Um, and, and it's the same, you know, if I want, Crystal Palace news and I pick up the times, what am I going to find in there for me? Um, there's a chance that there's some Palace stuff in there, but it, it's rarely going to be the comprehensive in-depth stuff that I want. And, you know, the internet has brought about an era of specialization where people can find whatever they want. And I think that everything is moving in that direction. We're not going to cover politics. We're not going to cover uh, the war in Syria. We're not going to cover Yemen or anything else that goes on like that. It's it's just sport. So people that pay the £2.50 a month it's going to cost, we'll, we'll get a comprehensive sport package, but it, nothing else. And, and what it means is that we can put all of our resources into flying our writers to the most interesting football stadiums in the world. Um, rather than having to, you know, keep them where they are and, and say no because we've got to send someone to Burma instead. I'm interested in hearing from you how the UK branch of the Athletic is going to fit within its wider model. What's the sort of business structure there? Is are you going to take in the US soccer coverage, or are you entirely separate from from the the wider Athletic company as it works now? So, so the US um, side soccer is obviously going to continue. They've got uh, Meg Linehan, who's one of the best mm-hmm. women's soccer writers in the world. Um, she, her, I thought her coverage during the Women's World Cup of the US team was was absolutely awesome. Uh, yeah. um, but also kind of the wider issues around that World Cup. Uh, they've got Paul, uh, Paul Tenorio, who's brilliant at breaking all the news in MLS. And those guys are going to continue doing their thing. What we're going to do over here is kind of a self-contained operation of about 50-odd people based out of London, all British journalists, obviously, at the clubs and stuff, uh, except Rafa. Uh, I can't think of anyone else. But uh, what we're going to do is, is just focus on covering the football the best way we know how. Like, kind of, If you think about the ice hockey and the, the baseball and stuff, they all work completely separately. They're on different seasons. They're different uh, rhythms. Um, it's just our job to, to focus on creating some incredibly good uh, football writing that people are willing to pay for because we appreciate there's going to be a behavioral obstacle you know like um i mean you you must pay for these sorts of things already but there are going to be lots of football fans who are used to just getting stuff for free so we appreciate mm-hmm. there's a, there is a challenge there and that's um just part of coming into a new market mm-hmm. but i don't think the price is prohibitive at £2.50 a month. I think anyone who goes to games or even people who just go to the pub to watch a game, I mean, you end up spending 30 quid if you have like two pints in London. So uh, I, I don't think the price is an issue. Uh, it's just getting, you know, people used to paying for stuff. But I, I'm so confident that people will love the product we're going to put out there that we're going to offer a free trial for a whole month um, so that people can spend time within the app, mm-hmm. see if it's for them. And obviously, there's a chance to cancel before the end of your free trial if you want. But it, I'm just so utterly convinced that people will like this that uh, I believe we're, we're on a good good path right now. I'm interested in exploring whether or not this expansion is aimed at bringing soccer coverage to a US market or bringing a UK audience to the athletic. And I, I guess your answer is going to be a sort of balance between those two. But how are you looking at, at the, 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 the overall aim of the, the UK expansion? What do you mean by the overall aim? Just in terms of, you mean uh, like in terms of subscriber numbers or? 
the Athletic last season tried to to move into soccer through coverage of MLS, and that didn't work. So it seems seems to me from from the outside that the that rather than doing that bottom up approach to to soccer, it's it's now a top down. If you get if you cover the the most elite football leagues and then and then bring in your subscribers that way, and then you can slowly bring in the smaller leagues. Oh, it's it's interesting you say that because I kind of view what we're doing. You use the phrase top down, and I kind of I view the model we're using in football as bottom up because mm. we're focusing on Norwich and Southampton and Bournemouth and Palace and stuff really mm. um, and Leeds and Nottingham Forest to to get the subscribers but then we're also having some great football writing that kind of hangs over the top of that whether that's Michael Cox writing about tactics or or feature stuff from from Danny Taylor or Jack Lang um, but I think the the US soccer operation kind of bears no resemblance to this uh, I think at, at most they had five people on staff doing that and this is 10 times the size um, run by Alex Kajelski, who's, you know, the best sports editor in the country, did a great job with the Times. Um, they won, you know, sports newspaper of the year several times when he was there. And everyone I talked to before we hired him said that he was the best sports editor they've ever worked for. So uh, it, it's going to bear no resemblance because uh, Alex's team is a completely different beast. Um, but I, I think that we can expand into other leagues and, and certainly what I'd like to do is go further down the football pyramid because, you know, that the heart of this thing is, is it's a local, yeah. it's a local play and it's how far down the football pyramid can you go and have a sustainable model like this? And it, it's really interesting to me. I know we're starting with, with five or six championship clubs. Um, but I'd be interested in hearing from fans further down the championship and maybe in League One. Um, cause if there are enough fans who kind of get in touch with us and say, we would pay for this, then, then why wouldn't we go into those markets and cover, mm-hmm. say, Preston North End or, or even a, you know, a club like Plymouth Argyle who have got a huge catchment area, but, um, don't really have anyone covering them except Evening Herald. So mm-hmm. th- there's loads of interesting things we could do in the future. Um, my head's been completely fried by the launch. So that's all mm-hmm. I've been able to focus on. But yeah, go, you know, going forward, I'm really excited for what either what other sports we could do or what other clubs we can cover further down and leagues. Obviously, I keep an eye on the football media. One of the things I love about the Athletic is it's really it's really unique. It's it sort of feels like it's old media. They have they have the the, the capital behind it to be able to pick up the sorts of writers who you would expect to see at, at mainstream operations. But it also feels quite new media. It's um it's it's the forefront of of what is achievable in terms of um in terms of online content. At the same time, there's a very as you've mentioned it, the word local is a very local feel to this. And I think that what I love about that is that it's 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 responding to the 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 fan culture that is becoming more and more um, um, important, I think, in in the UK media landscape. More and more people are wanting to have their co- clubs covered by someone who understands the club. So, um, anecdotally, you've already mentioned uh, Phil Hay at Leeds. I've I've heard hundreds of, of Leeds fans on Twitter who will who will sign up for the Athletic on the basis of Phil Hay alone. Um, so what we're seeing with with the Athletic, the UK expansion, I think is is very fascinating because precisely because it straddles those two those two different areas. So my question then would be how do you think that the the UK media landscape is going to respond to that? Do you think that the the mainstream outlets are going to have to start changing the way that they do things? Do you think that the 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 fan sites and the independent run sites are going to have to change the way that they approach things as well? Well, I think some I mean some of the independent fan sites uh, are brilliant in terms of what they've been able to achieve. I look at um Ask Blog, um what Andrew mm-hmm. has done there in creating a huge kind of Patreon thing is really really impressive. 
Um, the Anfield Rap guys have managed to turn, you know, what started as just one podcast into uh, an Im impressive media organisation, actually, where they're getting access to, you know, I, I think that helps that Liverpool are very open, um, but they've got access to Jurgen Klopp and, that you know, we've done interviews with players. And, and that's like, that's really good to see. Um, I think, obviously, we're more focused on, on, on journalism and that's good, like it helps us in some ways and, and in other ways it'd be much easier to do the, the fan stuff because you can kind of say what you want and uh, people agree with you. But the, the the changing dynamic, as you say, is really interesting because you got to remember, like, this is 2019, right? And um, you can get, like, Haribo Star Mix delivered to your house at 11.30 <laughs> at night if you, live in, if you live in London or Manchester these days. And um, to think that, like, the coverage of some clubs has gone backwards yeah. is is just it doesn't make sense this is yeah. you know we're, we are at the most technologically advanced time in human history and there's nobody covering crystal palace or west ham regularly yeah. like that that isn't right that isn't right um so it's more of a, a case of i think that because of business models uh, maybe national newspapers um haven't been able to cover as many clubs as they used to um and basically it's, it's just created a little gap which we're going to kind of fill into i think that the fan aspect is so interesting because the fan creators have managed to kind of create their own huge ecosystem which is which is awesome i mean i'm not i've not never watched arsenal fan tv but if i was an arsenal fan like that is something that i would certainly be interested in as a palace fan myself like i remember ringing up club call where they would tell you <laughs> terrible transfer rumors and you'd pay 30 quid like for a, a 10 minute phone call and your mum goes crazy about it but like that sort of stuff and like going on internet forums when you're like 13 years old just to find any news about the club you shouldn't have to do that in 2019 in 2019 you should be able to you know pay a, a small amount per month two pound fifty and have one two maybe even three high-grade reporters who are at your club week in week out covering them and writing about them in a way that relates to you. Um, like that, to me, doesn't seem like rocket science. It's just, you know, amazing that the Athletic have been able to come over here and give us the resources to, to do that and present that to people. But like, it's why I'm so bullish about the whole thing is it's like, of course, football fans will want this. And, you know, if you don't like reading about football and you don't want to pay for stuff, like that's absolutely fine. That's cool. That's up to you. But uh, I really believe that if, if anyone who's kind of going to football or watching football on a regular basis, this is going to be an almost essential product within maybe 12 months. I'm interested to talk about the journalists that you brought in. So you've, you've mentioned Phil Hay. I know you've got um, other beat journalists who've, who've spent the, the last decades of their life covering covering clubs individually. I'm thinking of James Pierce as well, um, covering Liverpool. What about the journalists that you're bringing in who've spent their, their last decade or so covering football, but from in a, in a mainstream context where they're not actually doing so much beat journalism for one club, they're, they're covering a lot of other clubs and then writing a lot of op-ed op pieces. Um, um, let's say hypothetically George Culkin how how do you think those those sorts of journalists are going to respond to being brought in now to a into a, an outfit where they're expected to cover the news in a in a beat manner, which they presumably haven't been doing for a few years? Well, to be honest, George could write about the turning on of a light switch, and I'd read it. <laughs> uh, he is he's phenomenal. Um, he obviously has a really close link um, with with Newcastle and is brilliant at writing about Newcastle. Yep. We've also got um, Chris Woff from the local paper up there who, who's going to be covering Newcastle week in, week out. George will be helping when, when he uh, arrives with us in October. But, you know, he's going to be able to do other things, wider things. You know, like the good thing about the, the people we've hired at that level is that they have terrific contacts. Um, they can get access to, to people that, 
some of the younger guys and, and the beat reporters can't. Mm. And what it allows us to do is maybe George, like, uh, you know, I look at some of the pieces he did at the Times where he went on the Trans-Siberian Railway or where he, you know, went and just in the, it was just in the the way end at Newcastle to, to, to kind of take the temperature of what the fans are thinking about Mike Ashley and all the other things like that. Like, why can't we do that? You know, the, all the stale old ways of doing thing we can question. Yeah. So when we talk about match coverage, you know, it, it's like, okay, so like match coverage doesn't have to be from a press box. What other ways can we cover a match? Um, the away end thing is obvious, but maybe it's, you know, looking down the line and, and you go and watch a, United game with the Man United Supporters Club in Siberia. There's so many different things you can do if you have the creativity and the resources to execute that. Yeah. Um, so it, that's why, it's, you know, the biggest thing for all, all the people we've hired is, is getting into a mindset where they realize that the limits aren't there anymore. Um, yeah. And what they've shown in America is actually that the, the more they invest into a story, you know, the more time, the more travel, the more effort that goes into it, the more subscribers it drives. So there's no like disincentive for us to really uh, let people spread their wings. Mm. And you know, I'm sure like within the first week, we'll have one or two pieces that drive over 100 subscriptions, um, which is an immensely valuable thing to the business. But it also proves the whole point of this, which is that quality content can make your business work. Um if you have the right business model. And unfortunately, there are too many business models out there which focus on the race to the bottom. Um, and you know, it, it's just going to be a complete change in, in priorities, I guess. One of the questions that we've had, I, I put this out to our listeners, and one of the main questions that kept coming back is, you've already mentioned Michael Cox, you've mentioned Rafael Honigstein, you've mentioned um, George Culkin, lots of big names, 50, 50 odd names and all. They're all going to want to go to the Champions League final. So how's that going to work in terms of having all of these great writers and then only presumably having limited slots in press boxes? Well, so the way I uh, described it to these guys, I mean, Alex so Alex is um, in charge of all the editorial side. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's he's saying to these guys all the time, you know, we've, we've hired people who were like, oh, you know, I want to go on the preseason tour uh, to China or the USA, wherever. <laughs> And Alex is like, okay, what, like, why? What are we getting out of it? What story do you want to write? What is it that you're planning to do while you're there? And I think it's the same for like, you know, for the big games, for the Champions League final. It's okay, like everyone needs to put forward their case of what they'd write and why they need to be there. And what you do is you work it out. But I also think, unfortunately, like there's kind of almost too much of a focus on the, the you know, the obvious stuff. As I say, that that's traditional match coverage is what people are asking about. Mm-hmm. But what if we can... what? If we can do non-traditional match coverage, yeah. you know, what if what if uh, we get via contacts that we have access to go up and then watch it in the director's box with one of the owners? What if, you know, I was talking to someone about someone was asking me about the Euros. So the Euros is a great opportunity for us because it's a big tournament spread all across Europe. We've got a big football writing team. You know, there's so many interesting things you can do. But even the guys that you don't send to the tournament, like so next year, it's what, 24 teams for the first, is it the first time in, in the Euros? Yeah, I think so. Imagine um, plucking names out the sky here. Imagine Lithuania qualified for the first time. Um, the thing for me is fly someone to Vilnius and watch the first Lithuania game at a major tournament mm. in their history in Vilnius with all the fans talk to them what does it mean like you know you can see the pictures with the, the tears streaming down the the yellow green and red flag painted on their cheeks like there's so many interesting things we can do that don't necessarily 
for take, being at a match. Now, obviously, we're always going to send people to matches because that fundamentally is the crux of football, right? But yeah. the storytelling can go so, so far beyond that. And um, someone might not make it to the Champions League final, but you know what else is coming up? We've got Iran versus Iraq in the World Cup qualifier. Now, that is a hell of a game to go to. And, you know, that's a lot more unique than going to another Real Madrid versus Juventus Champions League final, trust me. I'd like to talk about your role at The Athletic for a little bit. It would be tempting to go all Miss Merton at this point and ask you what first attracted you to the multi-million dollar business, The Athletic. But I do think there's a serious aspect to this sort of question because um, you spent much of your career working in uh, newspaper offices in an industry that has constantly been downsizing, cutting budgets and having to be savvy at every point just to survive. So how much of your decision to switch to The Athletic was motivated by just the, the exciting possibilities opened up working there just simply because there's so much financial backing behind them well i mean i'll be honest with you like um i was semi looking to move to america already um my my other half is is from chicago and we were kind of broadly looking to move to america um when the athletic got in touch so that was obviously a, a helpful thing for me but Really, like any time they approached me with this, I would have accepted it. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity to completely change an industry. Um, like I'm actually, to be honest, honored that I'm even getting to be involved, let alone in such a kind of uh, important role to the whole thing. Because like I remember when I was starting at the Daily Mirror, I was 22 years old. I was a freelancer. Um and I just had loads of ideas. I had no experience. No, I just didn't know anyone. I, I went up to my first boss and I said, like, like what, what shall I, you know, what do I do? Like, what advice would you give a, a young journalist like looking to make their way? And he just told me not to get into the industry because it was dying. <laughs> um, I wanted to write about football, so I completely ignored him. But like, you don't forget that sort of advice, I guess. Mm. Um, it, and it was the trade-off of I want to write about football, but at some point I'm going to have to work out you know, maybe in 10 years, maybe in 15 years, I'm going to have to work out what I'm going to do with my career because newspapers will not be around then. So if you're in my generation, you've grown up knowing that you were in a precipitous position, whereas like, I don't know what's going to happen here. And this came along. And, you know, I actually thought for a long time, maybe micropayments might be the the idea. You know, the advance in technology on smartphones and stuff made me think, um, especially, you know, when I was at the Mirror and at, at the Independent, I mentioned it to people there. Uh, what if you, you had to pay 59p and give a little thumb, uh, give a little thumbprint when uh, you wanted to read whatever Jonathan Liu wrote? Um, I think people would have gone for that. Um, and I also think that if you had some sort of subscription model baked in as well, after people have paid three individual pieces, they're probably going to subscribe. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, um, I think it's more to do with the technology and the back end of stuff. Like none, none of those ideas ever came to fruition because there was either wasn't the ambition or there wasn't the desire to implement that. Uh, when I saw the athletic launch in the US, I was obviously super interested. I, I subscribed. I've seen how good the quality is. Um, I've, I've seen how well they've been able to expand in America. And it did It did just feel like the right moment. I, I don't know. I mean, like you're very involved in the football media, obviously. Like this feels like a, a real pivotal time where people are sick of they're sick of clickbait stuff. Right. Yeah. Really sick of reading a piece that is decoding an Instagram post where the first five lines of the story are deliberately dragging out whatever tiny little morsel of information they scrape from an Instagram post mm-hmm. to keep you on there longer yeah. so that the ad video can play the ad video, which no one like, so when I was at the independent, you know, like 
I used to get so many complaints about the website and I'd always say like, I don't design the website or the ads or the pop-ups. Um, like my realm is the content and I was very proud of the content that we put on there actually. But it's the, if you were designing something for a reader, you'd never put pop-up videos. You'd never have all the other things that are on these websites. It's just, it's literally a symptom of the business model. And if you've read something on The Athletic, you'll realize there's no ads. It's an incredibly clean reading experience. Yeah. It's it's almost calming compared to kind of the alternatives out there. And that's what like that's what was such a big deal for me was the opportunity to go and do something where we can completely change back and, and direct it back towards the reader. This whole project that we're going to do is good for two two sets of people. It's good for readers and it's good for sports journalists. Yeah. Um, it's good for sports journalists because they can do more work that they're actually proud of rather than having to churn out maybe 10 or 11 pieces a day, which some of our journalists were having to do in their old roles. And then it's also good for fans because, as I say, if you're a Crystal Palace fan or an Everton fan or a Norwich fan who is underserved, you're going to have someone who is dedicated to covering your team every single week. Um, it's eminently affordable. And, you know, it, it, the technology behind it is really easy. It goes straight to your phone and everything is right there for you. So, like, for those two groups of people, this is a great thing. Fortunately, I am a sports journalist and I am also a reader uh, and a football fan. So, for me, the Venn diagram is a perfect circle. Um, and that's why, I'm, I guess, I'm so involved. Obviously, fundamental to the paywall model is the ability to get readers to commit their money to you and retaining those readers year on year. And we've seen the the, the stats that come out from The Athletic have, have been showing that there's a high retention rate and also that uh, I think Bloomberg reported this week that subscribers have reached 500,000 and there's a, there's a projection that that will be doubled by the year end. I'm interested to know how much of your job is focused on the task of increasing subscriber numbers and retaining them. How much of what, you, what you're covering is, is making sure that there's a, a constant turnover in, in subscribers and the, the numbers are going up. Yeah, I mean, well, I, th I think it's, <laughs> I like to think it's everyone's job to make the subscribers yeah. constantly go up. Um, it's certainly like, you know, it's weird for me because I'm sitting here before launch um, and I can't imagine what life is like after launch because we just don't have, you know, like uh, the, I can't touch and feel the thing. Um, but after launch, yeah, like my focus is, is obviously going to be on just constantly improving the business and mm. constantly improving the product so that people who do subscribe stay around because that's key um and they actually made that a big point to me early on it's you can't just keep the offering the same or people who subscribe will feel like they're maybe not getting value for money you have to constantly improve it um so we're going to have to add things and we're going to have to add podcasts we're going to have to add video stuff and we're probably going to have to add more journalists down the line you know maybe the clubs where people are subscribing in numbers will put a second guy there or a third person there you know mm. um that's certainly kind of the way i think about it and what we're also going to have is this, I mean, how do you describe it? It's we've got all of these people at clubs. Um, we're going to advertise, obviously, our, our product to the world. And that's going to be you know, adverts on trains, adverts on tubes, whatever, um, billboards, podcast adverts and things like that. But all we have to do is just keep the quality of the product sky high because if the property, if the quality ever dips below being at the absolute best, I'm sure everyone's going to let us know. Mm -hmm. But you can't charge people for a product that isn't really, really good. Uh, mm -hmm. People won't be happy to pay for that. So, you know, Alex's job as kind of the head of the editorial is to keep up the quality of the content and everything else. And my job is to make sure that everyone's happy with the product and to keep expanding it, keep improving it. You know, that means working with our top talent to, you know, help them and, and make sure that they're getting the widest exposure they possibly can. And for subscribers, it means 
what events can we put on? You know, can we uh, do things that are going to create more of a community around the athletic? Because if you think about it, you know, the subscribers who leave the comments and stuff in the app, uh, that's a far more high level of debate than I've seen on any social media platform because they are literal subscribers. They paid to be in there. They want to ask questions. And then the writers go in there and, and they answer questions. The live Q&As that the writers do in America, I think, will be very popular over here as well because you can imagine a world where, I don't know, you have a half-time Q&A with um, maybe like George Corkin at a Newcastle game. Now, that seems to me to be an incredibly uh, engaging prospect for a, a Newcastle fan to be able to kind of pick George's brain halfway through a game. Mm. Um, you're only going to be able to do that if you're a subscriber. So it's things like that. It's where can we add value to the fan experience, to the reader experience that just isn't available elsewhere? Mm. Um, and, you know, like everything else, like the content that Alex is in charge of getting on the app and on the website, we can be creative about it. Like, I just want to create this enormous, beautiful, thing where like all the football fans that come in through the door really enjoy it and just want to stay um and they some will stay for the podcast and never read a word some will come for the live q a's and, and uh, the features and never listen to a podcast but that's it we just got to have that offering for everyone uh, one more question about the back end part of the athletics model is centered around the idea of getting your writers to use data to hone their craft um i've been a subscriber for i'm on my second subscription year now so i've seen one of the things that, that happens when you read a, an article or you consume any content on the website is that there's there's a rating system at the bottom that asks you how you enjoyed the the piece whether or not you thought it was good or bad what is this going to look like in practice in the on the uk um on the uk site is there any and i, I guess is there any danger of the process becoming a, a vicious circle in which content narrows to suit the earliest audience of football subscribers that you get in in the in the uk site i don't think that's a real concern um with anyone here uh, the, the data people that they have in that company are very smart. Um, I actually think that's kind of a, a lucky side effect of basically being based in San Francisco. Mm. The the tech people, the data people, um, they're all like really, really high grade uh, tech and, and design employees, basically. Mm. Um, it's just harder to hire that level of person in London. I think one, because they're incredibly expensive and two, because there just aren't as many around as there are around like Silicon Valley and all those other tech companies. So that's just a, a lucky thing of having the headquarters where it is. Um, but the, the, the kind of data that comes from the stories is not uh, used in, in the way you think. I think like, you know, people saying they like a piece or don't like a piece is more of just a quality control measure um we're not people you know there might be a lot of people reacting negatively to a piece but it might just be because it's an opinion they don't like so it's not taken it's not taken um as strongly as you might imagine the the, the metrics that really matter are, are just engagement time people reading pieces um there are going to be writers for example who don't drive that many subscriptions but their work is read by tons of people and keeps keeps subscribers engaged, which is just as important as attracting subscribers in the first place. There are, there'll be writers who drive no subscriptions, but keep subscribers really engaged and, and people enjoy reading their stuff. There'll be other writers who drive loads of subscriptions, but don't get that much engagement. And there'll be probably be everything in between. Um, like the, the data is there to instruct us and to guide us, but it's not you know, the be all and end all. I, I think it helps us be smart about certain things. But, uh, you know, it's like, I guess it's like in football, 
itself. Like if you were running a transfer policy, I would definitely be using analytics and, and advanced data as much as possible to inform my decision making. But you also need to use the, the eyes of scouts. You yeah. need to talk to coaches who have interviewed the player and know his personality and think what the fit will be with the existing team. So, uh, yeah, if we can blend the, the data with our own expertise and, I mean, the experience of people like Alex in the industry, then that's going to be incredibly valuable. Over in the US, we've seen the Athletic drop news beats that weren't looking particularly profitable. We to be expecting the same in the in the uh, expansion into the Premier League. And how do you feel about the possibility of having to let your writers go on the basis of market trends? Oh, you mean like getting rid of someone if a team got relegated? Well, for example, in the some of the US teams, I think uh, I'm thinking of the Baltimore Orioles. For just to pull a, 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 a name out of a hat, they they had more um, beat writers uh, until it turned out that there wasn't that much interest in in the Baltimore Orioles uh, as a as a subscription um pull so they they let a few of their writers go in that respect in that respect so are we to expect similar things to happen in the in the English football scene if if no one's reading i don't know Bournemouth then do, is there any chance that you might let those 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 writers go i mean i don't i don't envisage that happening here at all because i'm so confident on the demand um i think if anything we're going to be adding writers here rather than taking them away um i don't actually know much about the baltimore example you're citing um but i'll I'll trust you on the details i think it's just um a case of we have uh say like i think bournemouth is interesting you cite them they're they're probably the smallest club we're going to cover um what ten thousand seat a stadium um traditionally have been in the lower leagues Mm. But like, if you do the, the really basic maths, so when um, they announced that data the other day about ha- half a million subscribers, mm-hmm. um, I think Alex, the CEO, said that the spend, the average spend per subscriber was $64. So if it was like, so what's that, about 50 quid, 50 quid or so. So if we got 1,000 subscribers for Bournemouth, then we'd be making 50,000 revenue, like in a, in a vacuum, obviously taking away all the other stuff. Like yeah. the very simple maths, um, we wouldn't need that many subscribers to pay for Bournemouth. Um, and you've got to look forward and say, none of these Premier League clubs are lacking in terms of numbers of fans. Um, the price point of £2.50 a month is not going to be prohibitive. And as I, say, I, think, I just think it's way more likely that we are adding second and third reporters to clubs than, than taking people away. Okay. And then one final question, I guess, in the negative mould. Is there, is there any sense in which the, the expansion into the UK can fail? Is everything accounted for cost-wise already uh, by the US site? Um, and are there targets for subscription rates and read rates that if you fall below the, the project will be canned? No, no. We, we've got we've got basically what's a 10-year plan um, and we want to be around long term like we, we you know we've we've put too much into this to kind of come in for a year decide it wasn't working and then just disappear like that's mm-hmm. not going to happen so uh i i mean i'm probably out of all the people here i'm the probably the biggest pessimist uh in terms <laughs> of like subscribe subscriber numbers uh just because i find that life's easier if you uh, don't expect that much and then you get the pleasant surprise out the other end uh but for me as a kind of new employee of the company i just have no frame of reference like i couldn't even guess what would be a good number of subscribers for day one or week one or whatever so uh like there are no like targets or or hard numbers or anything like that it's we know roughly what would feel good and, and what wouldn't feel good um but i'm absolutely convinced by the quality of what we've managed to put together so uh even if it's slow at the start i've got faith it's going to come around it's just people getting used to seeing us like as of uh when we're recording this before launch um a lot of people won't even have heard our name before you know unless you're paying attention this summer to the football industry and and reading 
like whoever's reported about us, you know, it's a lot of smaller outlets like BuzzFeed or the iPaper. Um, if you've not read those couple of pieces, then you won't know. Um, quite simply, uh, you know, that's millions and millions of football fans who still today have not heard of us. So the first job is just to get them used to seeing our name and just introduce ourselves and let people know who we are. Um, and then obviously get them on board, get them as subscribers and then keep them. That's pretty much the entire, the entire gig, I think. Final question then, if things go well, are there any plans to branch into other sports in the UK? I mean, personally, I'd, I'd love to. I think you just have to look at them on their individual merits. Um, you know, the Telegraph have obviously uh, put a lot behind cricket and rugby for their paywall. Um, and the content that they do is really good. Uh, I, I, I don't know personally, like I, I don't know enough about uh, the rugby situation, but like club rugby for me, would that work in the same way as club football? Like you definitely don't have the numbers uh, in the same way that you do for Premier League clubs or even championship clubs. Um, so I guess all of those would need to be thoroughly assessed uh, to check the feasibility of them as markets. Uh, I'd love to do cricket personally because I just, I love cricket, but uh, you have to make that on a business decision, not just a Ed wants to do cricket decision. So uh I guess we'll just look at football, see how it goes, and maybe in a year or two, try and, and make those other decisions. But there's already a lot of sports happening in the US. Like they've, they've added motorsport. Um, they've got MMA, which isn't my bag, but a lot of people do like UFC. Um, there's, there's golf stuff on there. You know, there will be coverage around the Olympics and things like that. So uh, there's plenty of sports already part of the bundle. Um, and there's a chance, I guess, in the future that we add some more. But uh, yeah, I just want to do really well with the football. And then, honestly, we could cover any sport in the world. I don't care. Well, Ed, thanks so much for coming on today. And I hope that Monday goes as well as, as it can. And it's, it's very stress-free for you. But and I'm looking forward to seeing how the, the athletic folds out for everyone. And I'm hoping that it does well. Thanks, mate. I can give you a cast-iron guarantee that it won't be in any way <laughs> not stressful. Um, but you know what? It's like, it's just been kind of these months of working in secret i'm just yeah. looking forward to having it out there and being able to talk about this and i think you know everyone behind the scenes has worked so hard to make this what it is that i think it'll just be a big relief for everyone um and they should all be very proud as well because everyone that's put the work into this has done a great job well good luck cheers john thanks for listening to the football media podcast with me john mckenzie if you enjoyed the episode please subscribe rate and review on itunes or follow us on twitter at footy media pod We'll be back next week with another interesting guest from the football media, but until then, have a good week. Goodbye.